You've all heard me use this adage before. Civilize the mind, but make savage the body. That's a samurai proverb that I embraced about 10 years ago, and I love the dichotomy of making the mind as formidable as the body, and vice versa. Oftentimes, we feel we have to sacrifice one or the other, and there are a lot of stereotypes out there of the muscular person not being very smart or the intellectual not being very strong. I'd like to marry those two and make a super smart baby that could crush you. <laughs> this is my goal with the FIRE framework, to shore up all those areas of our lives so that we are a formidable force to be reckoned with. Today is part two of my four-part series on learning how to feed your fire. In today's episode, I'll focus on the second element in the fire framework that I personally use in my life to help me refine myself, and I'll share how using this strategy can help you in all important areas of your life. We feel like it's up to us to hold the line as we light this spark within ourselves. It comes from way deep down inside. We're so sick of the status quo. We are here to let you know. Unaddressed problems are a liability. Core values, the brotherhood you need. Accountability. Ignited, we stand. Ignited, we fall. Remember, if you see a need, own it and take action. Ignited, we stand. Ignited, we fall. Be the ideal firefighter. You want on your crew. Be ignited. When you think of increasing or expanding your intellect, what do you think of? Do you think about taking classes at the local college or reading a giant stack of books? What about taking online courses? Should you do all of these things? Sure, if that's what you want to do. There are a multitude of ways out there to expand your intellect. With the world at our fingertips via the internet, it has never been easier to access information. However, there is no one way to go about increasing our intelligence. There is no right or wrong. What matters is that you actively do it. The second element in my FIRE framework is intellect. Inside the exclusive group of people that I teach this framework to, we go through every aspect of it. We go through fitness, intellect, relationships, and energy. And like I'd mentioned earlier, today's focus is on intellect. More specifically, how we can expand our intellect. I mentioned a few different ways that we can go about doing this, but understand this, learning new things doesn't have to come in the form of sitting through a lecture. There are many different ways to harness the power of your mind. Albert Einstein once said, one should not pursue goals that are easily achieved. One must develop, sorry, let me start over. <laughs> you guys can probably hear that I'm a little sick today. I apologize for that. <clears throat> I was going to record this yesterday and get this out on time, but you guys probably wouldn't even have been able to understand anything I was saying. I felt absolutely miserable, so I apologize if it kind of comes through today. Anyway, Albert Einstein once said, one should not pursue goals that are easily achieved. One must develop an instinct for what one can just barely achieve through one's greatest efforts. Before we get too further along here, I'd like to explain what I mean when I talk about the word intelligence. And I'm not just talking about 
facts and figures that you can commit to memory to be regurgitated at a later time for some uh, test or anecdotally at some party, right? I'm talking specifically about your capacity to learn new information, to retain it, and apply it as a foundation to solve problems that come your way. I'm talking about learning a new skill or fostering a talent you might have that you've neglected. In 2008, a study was done on, quote, improving fluid intelligence with training on working memory, end quote. And there were some interesting findings in this study, and I'll actually provide a link to it in the show notes if you guys want to read it. Very interesting stuff. In this study, the term fluid intelligence was defined just how I explained it, as our ability to learn new information, retain it, and then use that knowledge as a foundation to solve the next problem or learn the next new skill and so on. And this study revealed uh, several important points. Researchers discovered fluid intelligence is trainable. Uh, They also discovered that the training and subsequent gains are dose-dependent, meaning the more you train, the more you gain. It's interesting how this kind of correlates with the body, right? They also learned that anyone can increase their cognitive ability, no matter what your starting point is. It doesn't matter if you're four years old, if you're 44 years old, or if you're 84 years old. It doesn't matter. Anyone can increase their cognitive ability. The effect can be gained by training on tasks that don't resemble the test questions. So there are a lot of people out there who do wonderful on a captain's test or do wonderful on a paramedic test because they're studying to answer those questions specifically. But can they really practically apply what they're learning? No. Maybe they can. Hopefully they can. But they're just studying for a test. They're not studying for practicality's sake. So knowing these great discoveries, knowing these things that these researchers learned, how can we put those research results to practical use? According to blogger Andrea Kuzowski, I think I'm saying that right, Andrea Kuzowski, there are five primary principles that can help us do just that. She says, number one, seek novelty. Number two, challenge yourself. Number three, think creatively. Number four, do things the hard way. And number five, network. She says that we can implement each of these principles individually if individually, if we want to, but if we really want to function at our cognitive best, we should do all five as often as possible. And of course, I'm going to break each of these down right now. So starting with number one, seeking novelty. This is a term that means when it comes to our psychology, we search for new things to give our brains that dopamine hit that we all desire uh, by nature, right? Rewarding us for going on such a quest. When we seek novelty, several things are going on. First of all, we're creating new synaptic connections with every new activity we engage in. These connections build on each other. They increase our neural activity and create more connections to build on other connections. Or like creating scaffolding to create new things in our mind or within our brain physically. Active learning is taking place. And by constantly exposing ourselves to learning new things, we put our brains into a primed state for learning by default. So learn something new by playing an instrument, 
by taking an art class or visiting a local museum. Read articles on what's new with science and technology or the discovery of new planets and solar systems. Basically, keep up to date on anything Elon Musk is doing. <laughs> Seek novelty. Seek out the things that, that interest you. Um, there's a local museum of uh, natural history here in in uh, Mesa, Arizona, and they do like a free Sundays. It's like every first Sunday, I think, is free or whatever. And I've been going to this museum since I was a kid. But every time I go, I see something new or I learn something new or I read a new little snippet that I didn't read before. So I'm constantly learning something new, even though I'm visiting a, a place I've been visiting for over 40 years now. So keep that in mind. Number two, challenge yourself. A few years ago, uh, scientist Richard Hayer wanted to see if you could increase your cognitive ability by intensely training on novel mental activities for a period of several weeks. And uh, he and his team used the video game Tetris as the novel activity. And they used people who'd never played the game before as subjects, which to me is kind of crazy if you can find people who've actually never played Tetris before, but whatever. Anyway, uh, oh, side side note, there's a new movie coming out on Apple Plus uh, called Tetris, and it's all about how the game developers or people at Nintendo wanted to launch Tetris with the Game Boy. I don't know. It's, it, it has a whole bunch of cool things uh, involved in it that totally speak to me, like Cold War stuff, espionage, you know, entrepreneurship, video games, overcoming obstacles. It has everything. I don't know. I'm really looking forward to this Tetris game, but bringing up Tetris just made me think of it. But anyway, I digress. What these researchers found was that after training for several weeks on the game Tetris, the subjects experienced an increase in cortical thickness, as well as an increase in cortical activity, as evidenced by the increase in how much glucose was used in that area of their brains. So basically, the brain used more energy during those training times, and it bulked up in thickness, which means more neural connections or new learned expertise, right? After this intense training, that, that, uh, neural, those neural connections were building and building. Um, not only that, they became experts at Tetris, which is pretty cool to me. Uh, but here's the thing. After that initial explosion of cognitive growth, they noticed a decline in both the cortical thickness as well as the amount of glucose used during that task. However, they remained just as good at Tetris. Their skill did not decrease. Brain scans showed less brain activity during the game playing instead of more, as in the previous days. So why the drop? Their brains got more efficient, basically, is what happened. Once their brain figured out how to play Tetris and got really good at it, it didn't need to work as hard in order to play the game well. So the cognitive energy and the glucose went somewhere else. Keep in mind, efficiency is not your friend when it comes to cognitive growth. You don't want to become mentally lazy or dare I say complacent. In order to keep your brain making new connections and keeping them active, you need to keep moving on to other challenging activities as soon as you reach the point of mastery in the one you're engaging in. So if you become a pro in Tetris, you know, if it, if it is challenging and it gets to the point where, you know, you're building those, those, um, neural connections and you're, you're bulking up 
your uh, cortical thickness, right? Uh, there comes a point where it might not be that interesting to you, or it might not be that much of a challenge to you. So it doesn't take a whole lot of uh, energy or brain work to, to accomplish that thing. And maybe that thing becomes boring. Well, guess what? That's a good sign for you to move on to something else in order to continue to challenge yourself. So in order to move on to something else, you're going to have to think creatively and finding something new, which brings us to number three, think creatively. Several years ago, Dr. Robert Sternberg, former dean at Tufts University, opened the PACE Center in Boston, and that stands for Psychology of Abilities, Competencies, and Expertise. Sternberg has been on a quest to not only understand the fundamental concept of, of uh, intelligence, but also to find ways in which any one person can maximize his or her intelligence through training, and especially through teaching in schools. As a part of a research study, the Rainbow Project, he created not only innovative methods of creating or of creative teaching in the classroom, but generated assessments, uh, assessment procedures that tested the students in ways that got them to think about problems in creative and practical ways. So not your typical approach. Uh, not only that, but he or, and his team were thinking about the problems in an analytical way uh, instead of just memorizing facts and figures to just regurgitate on some test. And Sternberg explains, quote, in the Rainbow Project, we created assessments of creative and practical as well. This quote, it kind of, this quote kind of flubs me. But anyway, let me restart. I'm getting a little tongue-tied. Maybe it's all the day quill. I don't know. In the Rainbow Project, we created assessments of creative and practical as well as analytical abilities. A creative test might be, here's a cartoon, caption it. A practical problem might be a movie of a student going into a party, looking around, not knowing anyone, and obviously feeling uncomfortable. What should the student do? So this is interesting. I used to do this with my kids. I would bring up a picture on the internet or just draw a picture or start a sentence, uh, or start a paragraph, and I would just have them finish it. I would have them finish the story based on the information that I gave them, or I'd have them tell me the story behind an image that I just happened to pull off of Google Images, right? And I would do this, and it would help get them creatively thinking, and it really expanded their ability to apply their, their life experience, their preferences, um, what interests them, all of that stuff. But I encourage you guys to do it too. If you have kids, it's really impressive to see, and it's really unique. Uh, it's really great to see their like unique tastes and talents come out. But anyway, Dr. Uh, Sternberg, he wanted to find out if by teaching students to think creatively and practically about a problem, as well as for memory, he could get them to one, learn more about the topic, two, have more fun, learning that subject, and three, transfer that knowledge gained to other areas of academic performance. He wanted to see if by varying the teaching and assessment methods, he could prevent teaching to the test, which is something I friggin' hate, because anybody can study to take or, or check a box, right? But not everybody can apply it. Anyway, um, and he wanted to get the students to actually learn more in general. So he collected data on all of this, and boy, did he get results. So. 
In a nutshell, and I looked at this study, I have the link to it. Um, on average, the students in the test group, the ones taught using creative methods, received higher final grades in the college course than the control group who were taught with traditional methods and assessments. But just to make things fair, he also gave the test group the very same analytical type exam that the regular students got, which is like a multiple choice test. And they scored higher on that test as well. That means they were able to transfer the knowledge they gained using creative, multimodal teaching methods and score higher on a completely different cognitive test of achievement on the same material. The idea here isn't to just go paint something or draw a picture, like I said. The idea is to recruit both sides of your brain to creatively solve a complex problem. There are some great apps and games that can help you do this, uh, that you can download on your phone. Just make sure you're not spending most of your day staring at your screen, right? Um, I actually incorporate this when I teach my EMT class at the local community college here. I incorporate this way of dynamic thinking and creative thinking when it comes to teaching these future EMTs. I have them draw pictures of, um, you know, body systems, anatomy, skeletal, uh, pathophysiology of how the heart works and blood flow of, or the flow of blood through the heart, like all of that stuff. They're, they're drawing pictures of it. So they're seeing it, they're thinking about it, they're using their hands to draw a picture of it and do it in an artistic and creative way. And by the time test day comes around, they have a complete understanding of those topics. And their scores just keep going up and up and up and up. So in my personal experience in this, I can absolutely tell you with full confidence that this absolutely works. And I am proving it in the, the EMT course that I'm teaching. But anyway, moving on. Number four, do things the hard way. The obstacle is the way right? Talking about smartphones and efficiency and ease, I'd like to take a turn and focus on how the obstacle is the way. Technology does a lot to make things easier in our life. Uh, things become easier, faster, more efficient, but sometimes our cognitive skills can suffer, and as a result of these shortcuts, it hurts us in the long run. Now, before you go thinking that I'm trashing, trashing technology, that's not what I'm doing. I'm literally using technology right now to speak to you. You are using technology to hear me. Like, I am a huge fan of it. I love it. Use it. As it is, it's a tool, right? Use it to do and accomplish things. But look at it this way. Driving to work takes less physical energy. It saves time. And it's probably more convenient and pleasant than walking, right? I drive, drive about 25 to 30 minutes to work. So walking that would probably be two and a half hours, right? At least. Not a big deal. <laughs> it's not a big deal to, to drive, right? The 30 minutes, not a big deal. But walking, it would be a big deal. Um, if you drove everywhere you went or spent your life on a Segway or you go on very, or you go very short distances uh, in a car, like let's say you, you get in the car, you have a, a grocery store in the corner instead of just walking you get in your car and you probably drive more feet than it would take you to walk to the store uh, if you choose to drive that you're not going to be expending any physical energy really like it's going to be very minimal think of the movie wally -E and how all the people on that spaceship that orbited the earth while the robots cleaned up our mess 
just grew in size while they shrunk in bone density. Over time, your muscles will atrophy, your physical state will weaken, and you'll probably gain weight. Your overall health will probably decline as a result because who would have guessed there is a inverse relationship when it comes to obesity and health. The more obese you are, the less healthy you are, no matter what Nike and Lizzo and everybody else is trying to tell you. It's all lies, folks, but I'm sure you're more than aware of that. Uh, your brain needs exercise as well. If you stop using your problem-solving skills, if you stop using your spatial skills, your, lo your logical skills, your cognitive skills, how do you expect your brain to stay in top shape? Not to mention, get better. Think about modern conveniences that are helpful, but when relied on too much, they can hurt you uh, in, in that area, like in that domain. Now, I talked about walking to the store, but let me, let me talk to you about um, GPS, right? GPS is one of those things. There's a, there's a great show I absolutely love. It's Parks and Recreation, and Tom Haverford uses GPS. He's like super reliant on technology, right? Can't do anything without technology. Tweets everything. I mean, it's crazy. And uh, he gets like basically court ordered to avoid using technology, and he just can't do it. He doesn't even know how to drive to work unless he uses his GPS, which is insane to me. But it was just a reflection of what really is going on out there in some people's cases. Um, so I encourage you to, next time you're, you're trying to go somewhere, you know, maybe avoid using GPS. I remember a time before GPS and having to be like, okay, well, where's this thing? I mean, MapQuest was around, but holy crap, that was a long time ago, right? Um, try to use your just cognitive ability and understanding of where you're going and try to, you know, remove that element of ease from your life and see how well you do. Just kind of test yourself. You know, when, uh, there's another thing out there too that, that has kind of made our lives easier, but at the same time, sometimes a lot more annoying. Um, I'm talking about auto, auto correct, right? As a year, as, as a result of years of relying on autocorrect and spell check as a nation, I'm sure there are studies out there showing that we are worse spellers for it. There are times when using technology is warranted and necessary, like I said, but there are times when it's better to say no to shortcuts and use your brain. Walking to the corner store, like I said, for the, for the few things that you need rather than driving your truck or taking the stairs instead of the elevator a few times a week or always. Personally, I always take the stairs. I don't, I don't take elevators typically. Now, I don't have a fear of elevators or a fear of tight spaces or anything like that. I just, I prefer to use the stairs. Um, that's just me and my recommendation. But anyway, it's good to stay in physical shape and, and to stay, it's good to stay in physical shape and condition. Um, and you may as well use it while you got it, right? I'm going to, I'm going to use my ability to climb these stairs as, as long as I can until I can't anymore. And then I'm going to hop on one of those righteous little scooters and I'm going to use that thing to go everywhere, but that won't be for a long time coming, hopefully. But, uh, don't you want your, your brain to be fit as well? So like I said, lay off the GPS once in a while, do your spatial and problem solving skills a favor, right? Keep it handy but try navigating naked. Your brain will reward you for it. Number five, network. 
This brings us to the last element here to maximize your cognitive potential, and that's networking. What's great about this uh, is that if you're doing the other four things, you're probably already doing this as well. But if you're not doing this, I recommend you start immediately. By networking with other people, either through social media like Facebook or Twitter or face-to-face -face interactions, you're exposing yourself to the kinds of situations that are going to make objectives one through four much easier to achieve. By exposing yourself to new people, new ideas, and environments, you're opening yourself up to new opportunities for cognitive growth. Being in the presence of other people who may be outside of your immediate field gives you opportunities to see problems from a new perspective or offer insight in ways that you had never thought of before. Learning is all about exposing yourself to new things and taking in that information in ways that are meaningful and unique. Networking with other people is a great way to make that happen. I'm not even going to get into the social benefits and emotional well-being that is derived from networking as a factor here, but that is just an added perk. And one of the things that I have done um, is created a community where we can work on our uh, expanding our intellect by seeking novelty, by challenging, our, challenging ourselves, thinking creatively, doing things the hard way, if not just challenging ourselves weekly, and networking with other like-minded people, uh, or networking with people who think completely different than you. I've got a several different people in uh, the group that I coach called The Forge. And in here, what we do is we work on the FIRE framework, and I'll describe that in just a minute. But some of the elements that I shared with you, uh, I focus on more than others. And that's really how it's going to be. Some areas you'll be very capable in and might already be incorporating them into your lives. However, some you might not have even thought up until now. Either way, Knowing what they are and knowing how these elements can improve and expand your intellect is what really matters here. You get to pick and choose to incorporate the ones that speak to you and, will, and what will move you forward, uh, closing the integrity gap between where you're at and where you want to be. Increasing your intellect with purposeful action will yield great rewards. So like I mentioned a little bit earlier, guys, you know what's coming. If you're looking for a framework to ignite your fire and practically apply the principles that I talked about in this podcast, but you don't know where to start, then I highly encourage you to join The Forge. I started The Forge because I've been using this framework for several years now, and it, I, it just felt selfish for me to keep it all to myself. So I constructed a community that will open you up to the FIRE framework, allowing you to be conscious in your efforts in closing that integrity gap that I just mentioned. Inside the forge, we'll work on refining ourselves by igniting our fire. We will focus on our fitness, our intellect, relationships, and energy. And through this framework, we will set goals and complete daily objectives that will help us reach our unique goals. Using this framework, guys, I was able to complete a 20-week master health coach program online. Um, not only that, but I was able to earn a scholarship that allowed me to do or complete the $5,000 program for free due to my ability to communicate, express my passions, and wholeheartedly be able to apply those values in what it is that I'm doing. Um, using this framework, I've been able to write a book publish a book, 
and have it land on not one but two, two but four different number one bestseller categories on Amazon. This framework is no joke, you guys. It works. You just have to put it to work. So there are links in the show notes. There are links on my uh, link tree on the Instagram profile. Anywhere you can find me, you can find the links. Join the ranks of others who are looking to feed their fire and become much stronger for it. Click the link in the show notes uh, or in my bio to fill out an application. Once I receive it, I'll contact you and I'll personally get you all set up. So that wraps it up for this special episode of the Ignited Firefighter Podcast. This is part two of four that will focus specifically on how we can feed our fire, the elements that are involved, and the action we can take in refining each category and ultimately refine ourselves. Thanks again, and until next time, if you see a need, own it and take action. Feed your fire and be the person you were meant to be. Be ignited. Be ignited.